Welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, VMware Explorer is upon us, my friend. Yeah, I'm I'm preparing right now, and you know, by the time that you're hearing this, the show's probably already started, but I'm doing two important things. I'm making sure my my hat gets packed. Yes. And I'm taking more snapshots in my lab. I, I'm <laughs> so for those of you who want to see what what's what evil snapshot atrocity war crime is being built, uh, come check out uh, the work the VCN workshop with Pete and I. Yeah, for sure. A little backstory for those that are not following along. But yeah, John has been creating a nice, creative, very hilarious uh, list of snapshots that he's taking. And he's going to go over that in his session on Monday where they're going to actually delete those. And we'll see how long it takes to delete it. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> I, I need nice. like I need a movie announcer guy to like, you know, pre-announce the snapshot discussion. So it'll be fun. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, yeah, today, today officially when you're hearing this is Tuesday, and so Tuesday is release day for vSAN. vSAN 8 Update 2 was just announced, and joining us again to talk about all the details is our good friend, Mr. Pete Keeler. Pete, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And I know that we are doing this recording in advance, but I can guarantee you that my voice sounds better now than it will later on in the week uh, <laughs> at Explore, as it is for the case for all of us. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Pete, we were talking before the show, and I'm just curious. You know, there's different types of people, different types of trips to Vegas. Some people go for bachelor parties or whatever. Some people go strictly for the gambling. Uh, you know, some people just go and lay poolside. What is your typical week in uh, in Las Vegas look like? Usually it's just me uh, trying to follow the food. So, you know, where whomever is paying for the dinner, I'll be there. Uh, you know, I try to not get lost. And if I am lost, make it look like I'm not. So, you know. Are, are you the guy that stays inside the hotel the entire week or do you venture out? Well, you know, it all depends on what the team does. Uh, and that can be that that can really vary because it's it's you would think that that would be sort of like a fair vote on what we should do. Yeah. But that doesn't always seem to work out that way. We end up going, uh, you know, maybe to a place that uh, maybe has a sordid past uh, that you, you go, OK, well, all right, we're going here again. But, uh, you know, I think it's all all in good fun and uh, looking forward to it for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, everyone everyone loves going to VMware Explore, previously known as VMworld, and we've had many good good memories in various locations, some seedier than uh, than others, uh, but definitely always a good time at VMware Explore. John, what about you? What, what are you planning for this week? So i I think the key thing is week. If you're doing a week in Vegas, you know it, it's a work week. I'm not going to see see the sun. I'm going to be you know being shuffled from room to room to VBC. To, you know, hopefully having some hallways, you know, chats with you guys. But um, if I'm there for fun, like I don't go for a week. I go there for 24 hours. Like I get on that plane. I'm off the plane by, you know, 9 a.m. I'm at the pool by 10. You know, after a light lunch, it's spa time. Get that massage, get a facial, get a shave, go hit the little spa rooms. Then it's, you know, uh, maybe a magic show or something. Then it's, you know, try not to hit dinner till maybe nine. Get out of dinner at midnight. Then go hit some tables, get three hours of sleep and get out like Vegas. You either do it for work and you're there for days or week. If you do it for fun, I'm a big believer in the 24 hour rule. 
<laughs> that's pretty exciting, man. I've never tried it like that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try that one day. So good stuff. But yeah, we're here. It's explore week. There's a lot of great sessions going on. The general session was just today. Uh, so many great announcements, one of which for vSAN specifically, uh, and Pete, I want to unpack a lot of the features, but I think the big one that I heard about is vSAN Max. So tell us what that's about. What, what exactly is vSAN Max? Yeah, most certainly. So vSAN Max is our brand new fully disaggregated storage solution for vSphere clusters, meaning that you can build out a, a fully disaggregated uh, storage cluster for the purpose of uh, providing storage resources for your vSphere clusters. And the neat part about that is that you're going to be able to take advantage of all of the features of vSAN, um, but still have the, the separation or the decoupling of uh, compute resources with storage resources. Uh, vSAN Max is built entirely on vSAN ESA or the Express Storage Architecture. So you're going to get all of the goodness there uh, that we've been showcasing over the last year or so. Uh, and it's this is really exciting news um, for many of our customers who have actually been asking about uh, some sort of a solution like this. And it's really impressive in so many different ways. And we're excited to show a little bit more about it here throughout the week. Yeah, and I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. So uh, why wouldn't I just use a, a vSAN cluster using ESA? Why would I go with the vSAN max route? Yeah, the, the main driver that we uh, had in working on this solution was the fact that we had a lot of our customers who uh, were realizing that for certain workloads and as they were assembling these workloads in their environment, that their that the needs of their storage resources were not growing at the same rate as their uh, compute resources. So they wanted the ability to sort of scale those independently a little bit more. And that's something that they were used to in a, a traditional three-tier arrangement, but they had moved off of a three-tier arrangement because um, some of the inherent uh, challenges that they would have naturally with scaling in those those environments and manageability and you know some of the costs associated with it. Now they're able to take HCI because they can scale incrementally. Um, they can manage this thing that's just all embedded right inside the hypervisor and managed in vCenter server. Um, but they can meet all of those other uh, capabilities that a traditional three-tier storage um, arrangement worked really well on. So they have the benefits of both. And we really see uh, customers all running of the benefits you know, of vSAN HCI-based uh, clusters, which are fully aggregated, as well as vSAN Max uh, storage-only clusters side-by-side, side, where they, they would those vSAN Max storage-only clusters would be uh, powering their vSphere clusters that are, you know, offering up a variety of uh, different workloads uh, for their internal needs. So with the word max, um, you know, I assume that it's kind of a loaded term. I expect kind of two things. One, there's got to be an FDA warning, you know, don't combine this with, you know, alcohol or driving <laughs> or operating heavy equipment. And then two, the other thing also I'm kind of expecting here with, uh, with the max is, is scale. So what is, what is the scale that, I'm going to be looking at this solution necessarily versus a traditional HCI. What are the, I, I don't want to say buying patterns, but what are the, the, the architecturally, what are the situations I'm going to get myself in where I'm going to go reach for max rather than, you know, um, you know, the, the regular size vSAN, I guess. 
Sure. Yeah. You know, the naming is always an interesting thing. Let's, let's get that out of the way. Uh, it's always a bit of a mystery when we work through this process, I think for many of us and, you know, uh, when you choose a superlative like that, Max, well, what, what does that really mean? Is it, you know, a better than VSAN more? You know, we're not quite sure, you know, so, <laughs> so, so uh, VSAN Max, though, is really focused on um, offering up uh, petabyte scale storage. And that's really the key behind all of this. So um, when you're using uh, vSAN ready nodes certified for vSAN Max, um, those will have storage densities that go up to 360 uh, terabytes per host. So when you think about that, you know, and, and um, the possibilities there where you have a, a, a 24 host vSAN Max cluster, that's over eight and a half uh, petabytes, if my math served, serves me uh, correctly, which it may not. So I, I could be wrong on that. 8.6. I checked it. Okay. So, so that offers tremendous flexibility for a lot of our customers. And um, they'll be able to apply this for a lot of scenarios that they have in their data center. So imagine uh, you have cases where you have applications that have um, licensing structures that, you know, sort of require you to kind of keep that footprint relatively small. You know, you don't want to pay any additional licensing costs for this really expensive uh, database application, whatever yeah. the thing may be. And so then you can kind of uh, tailor a vSphere cluster that is smaller so that you can maintain some of those costs. So that's oftentimes what you see sort of in, in those situations uh, where you just have a vSphere cluster and you're using external uh, storage that would be very applicable here. The other thing would be lengthening the life of uh, some of your other servers in in the environment, whether they're blades that were never well intended for a you know fully aggregated uh, HCI uh, cluster like vSAN. Um, that would be another case as well. So uh, if you have uh, a sprawl of various servers, really you can uh, connect up to a vSAN Max uh, cluster, as long as you have uh, 10 gig networking. Those servers in those vSphere clusters, they don't have to uh, be adherent to any vSAN HCL. They just need to be on the vSphere HCL. Well, and that's uh, nice because if I've, you know, if I'm three years or four years into running some blades for seven years or eight years into the ground completely, um, I don't, even if I could run vSAN on it, even if there were the drive slots, I don't want to recapitalize an asset that's going to fall off my books in 48 months. And so being able to procure that storage um, separately, especially if maybe I have an existing storage array that really is eight years old and it's got to go, pe people, you know, don't, aren't always in the position to buy compute and storage, even if they did have a fixed re resource. So that seems like that from a toolkit wise opens up some possibilities. Nice. Yeah, indeed. And, and, you know, one of the things that's really interesting as well is, is that, and we, we've all been through the uh, procurement process for, you know, when we were on that side of, of, uh, the business, um, one of the things that is really challenging is trying to plan in advance how much actual uh, capacity you need in the first place. And so, you know, should I get that storage solution that offers me X amount or X amount uh, times 1.5? That's the hardest part. And the level of uh, incremental scalability that you have with vSAN Max is really nice here. I mean, we're, we're really allowing our customers to capitalize on the fact that you have this fully distributed storage system. Uh, and, you know, that 
brings so many great uh, capabilities, and it certainly has for a fully aggregated environment uh, like a vSAN HCI cluster. But now we're offering that as general centralized storage for your vSphere clusters. And uh, we're really excited to see how this is going to uh, um, really help many of our large customers and small customers as well. Sure. And I'm imagining because it is vSAN and like you said, it is built on the express storage architecture. I'm assuming the deployment is pretty straightforward. It's essentially like I would do a regular vSAN cluster. How do I how do I determine at, at what point in the deployment process do I say, hey, let's make this one a vSAN max cluster? Yeah, it. I think, and John can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like three clicks. I mean, it is, you highlight the cluster, you uh, configure um, the vSAN services, and it's going to make the option available of, is this a vSAN HCI uh, cluster, which is a, a traditional vSAN uh, cluster, or is it going to be a vSAN max cluster? And then that's really it. <laughs> and yeah, it's, that's, I, that's, I, I, I've been working on the demos for this, and it's it's one of those things where the demo is both short and almost disappointing and lacking of complexity <laughs> and yeah. things. It's like, oh, okay, it's a max cluster. Cool. Yeah. And then the mounting the cluster is you're using the existing data store sharing wizard, which you have all the health checks that will fire off to make sure connectivity is there, all that stuff. So you're going to get like 10 green checkboxes or you're going to get a lot of red X's and, you know, go home and try again. Um, but there's it, it, it's operationally very simple. Sometimes boring is nice, though. I mean, I, I, I would like to see a video on how to turn a light switch on to be very simple. It should be like. Click and it's on. That's it. I don't need to. <laughs> it's okay, Pete. You can fall asleep to my demo video of how to how to set up vSAN Max. <laughs> next, well, next, finished. Yeah, and that sets almost a bit of a segue for some of the things that we've been doing in other parts of vSAN, um, and especially within the Express Storage mm -hmm. architecture, which simply makes things easier. That's that's been the underlying goal in a lot of these things, and we had we we had some some uh, technical. Um, uh, implementation, so to speak, with the original storage architecture that was a little bit of a management uh, burden for many of our customers. Well, when you remove those things, then it becomes easier. And so we're applying some of the, those uh, simpler workflows to vSAN Max just as they would exist in uh, the vSAN ESA. So one of those examples about making things easier is our new auto policy management feature. That was something that we introduced in vSAN 8 update one. Uh, and that's just all about uh, creating a cluster specific uh, default storage policy for a vSAN cluster um, based off of the makeup of the cluster itself. Is it a stretch cluster? Is it a standard cluster? How many hosts are in there? And are you using the uh, capacity management mechanism known as host rebuild reserve? Uh, and then builds a a custom a default storage policy for that environment. Well, now that we have that in place and it's fully applicable to a vSAN Max cluster, then you can sort of do this approach where it's a set it and forget it. You have the storage policy that is really optimized for the highest level of resilience, uh, and it already has the inherent level of uh, storage performance that ESA offers, and that simply becomes easier for the customers. Well, yeah, on the topic of management, I noticed there's been a lot of uh, new enhancements for uh, vSAN 8 Update 2. Uh, I think the one that I thought looked really good was the uh, the capacity reporting. There's been a lot of changes there. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, capacity reporting is always kind of interesting in any kind of an environment. Oh, yeah, tricky. <laughs> Very tricky. And, and it seems like a, such a non-trivial thing 
um, or such a trivial thing, I'm sorry, uh, for, you know, the end user. They're just going, well, you're, you're uh, consuming X amount of capacity. How hard is that yeah. uh, to tell me? But the fact of the matter is, is that you have, when you're storing data, you're storing all different kinds of other data that help you find that data. That's known as metadata. Uh, and then there's all, there's various layers of that. So we need to factor all of that in. And then by the time you account for, you know, blocks that are compressed and things of that nature, you need oh, yeah. to also account for things like that. So um, in the the recent editions of vSAN, and especially as we uh, debuted the express storage architecture, um, there were some uh, space accounting elements there that weren't quite reconciling with uh, the actual space used. And, and that was something that some of our customers noticed, and rightly so. And so that sort of, um, it, it was one of the reasons why I had to write a blog post on it, just to help clear uh, the air on that. Uh, so what we did was we made some additional changes within the UI uh, to make sure that those numbers really reconciled. And so when you look at the overall uh, cluster capacity usage, uh, you will get a breakdown um, on some of this metadata overhead that will help you understand uh, where is my space being used, how much, and what is it associated with? And that's ultimately what um, many of our customers simply want to know. They, you know, they want to know how much am I using and how much do I have left. And if those two things are re really accurate, then the rest really doesn't matter. But they need verification that it is indeed accurate. Yeah, for sure. And you want to know what you're spending your space on as well, right? So it, it helps to have that breakdown and to to be and to be accurate. Obviously, this has been a, a time. This has been an issue as long as time in in the world of uh, infrastructure, especially storage. Uh, you know, especially when thin provisioning first came out and trying to report that information accurately from a, a, a let alone separate storage uh, has always been a, a a challenge in the industry. But yeah, it seems like we're, we've got this thing looking really good now, and and the the visuals are fantastic as well. So no. It's, it's something that I think back to just the earlier days of managing regular arrays. I once, you know, for a customer did a report of like usable versus raw. And like after we accounted for, you know, weird array overheads, replication buffers, um, way too many snapshots, like just too many, um, you know, raid and other things. Um, it was like 17% usable versus raw. And they're like, uh, I'm like, well, you know, I've seen worse. But it's it's something that people aren't always aware of, and it, sometimes people get angry. They're like, "Well, the OS reports this, but I'm only seeing this." And oftentimes, accounting for this um, is fun. Well, and we know even the the manufacturers of the storage devices they have different ways of reporting uh, how much actual capacity is on that before and after formatting. Um, also, is a big element there as well. So uh, it's a complex. A challenge that you know we're always striving to make that better and simpler for for our customers. But um, it is sort of interesting is that you know just when you think you have it figured out in terms of making this as simple as possible, then uh, there may be another case where you go, oh, you know what? Maybe there's room for improvement. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, another area that's definitely uh, in the past has been sort of a challenge. You know, with storage administrators has been uh, you know disk claiming in general, the process for disk claiming, and I, I heard. We have some good news in this regard. Yeah, you know, um, that's another uh, dubious sort of uh, um, thing that, that we've had within vSEN as far as the claiming process. I, and really that came from the nature of how we initially um, 
uh, consumed the storage devices when, within the original storage architecture. Of course, at that time, we used the concept of a disk group where you had you know, the caching and, and then the uh, storage devices for the capacity. Um, well, at the time um, of the original storage architecture, we initially rolled out with this ability to automatically claim the uh, storage devices. Yes. The problem was is that that really didn't work very well. And that didn't work for very well for a variety of reasons. It was hard to really distinguish what should be a caching device and what should be a, a capacity device. So um, we recognized that that was a bit of a, of a challenge. So we removed that out of the product uh, and just had the manual uh, claiming process. Well, manual was good, but just as the name implies, there's more effort there. Uh, with the introduction of the express storage architecture and its single tier, we were able to sort of bring back that automatic uh, disclaiming method. And so that's good. But we also recognize there was one other sort of use case here, is, is that there is situations where uh, customers want to be able to uh, claim specific storage devices uh, within those hosts, but not all of the storage devices. Uh, right now, the automatic uh, disk claiming method will uh, claim all the storage devices that are on the HCL for vSAN. So um, if you want to have an additional storage device that's used for something else non-vSAN related, um, then that becomes a bit of a problem. And, and that was uh, actually a challenge that we would run into with some of our vendors um, that uh, had uh, customized uh, systems using vSAN uh, as, as well as uh, VMware Cloud Foundation uh, and some of our hyperscalers as well. They wanted to be able to uh, control that. So in vSAN 8 Update 2, we have a new uh, prescriptive uh, disclaim. And this sort of uses this model where you have this uh, desired state. Uh, it's essentially a, a, a configuration of what you want it to actually look like as a result. And we use that manifest of sorts to help um, build out this uh, desired state for any and all hosts within that vSAN cluster. So now you sort of get the best of uh, both worlds and in, in, you know, the ability to sort of customize that, but have it fully automated. And uh, in this release, it's, it is only available via API and CLI at this time, but this actually works out great because some of those use cases and those examples that I shared, that's actually how they would be using yeah. it in the first place. Yeah, that's that's how they're going to do it. They're not going to open up a GUI for that. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Yeah, so what about stretch cluster? I know that's a totally, you know, that's a specific use case. Not every vSAN cluster is a stretch cluster, but there are a lot of customers, uh, especially depending on, you know, their their distance between uh, data centers or sites uh, that take advantage of our, our stretch cluster. So uh, are there any enhancements in regards to stretch cluster? Yeah, we have two really good enhancements here that uh, I know I think when I think about just even some of the meetings that John and I had uh, at last year's VMware Explorer, these two things uh, came up over and over again. Uh, the first one is being able to tag uh, vSAN witness traffic in a stretch cluster um, right within the UI itself. Uh, in the past, you always had to jump out uh, to the CLI, or if you had larger configurations and you wanted to sort of automate that, you might use uh, Power CLI or something. But that why do you want to? Why do you want to track the vSAN uh, witness traffic? What's the purpose? Well, we want to be able to split 
the different kind of uh, traffic that vSAN is uh, generating. We have two different kinds of traffic in that uh, topology. Um, some of it would be essentially the uh, data itself that is being replicated between the respective sites. Yeah. And then we would have witness uh, traffic that is essentially transmitting metadata to help it understand awareness of where the data is at and uh, quorum and things of that sort. Um, but we needed in that sort of a uh, topology, we needed to be able to specify which VM kernel port it should use for that. And we had no way ah. to do that within the user interface. Interesting. Had to be the CLI. Yeah. And so um, right now, it's just sitting um, as one of the respective services when you are uh, configuring a VM kernel port. Um, just like you know, vMotion or vSAN traffic, you'll see uh, vSAN witness uh, traffic there. Uh, and it just makes it really easy. Uh, and you know, for those who are not necessarily in the CLI a lot, th they're probably going to be happiest because uh, it's usually you're, you're not doing something like that just long enough for you to forget everything that you learned the last time around on how to configure it. And, and that's what we were really sort of striving to uh, solve on this. Now, the other improvement that we made for stretch clusters uh, was the support of the VM IO trip analyzer. So this is a really neat tool that helps you understand where the potential uh, bottleneck may be in the uh, performance of a VM uh, when it's run against a VMDK. Uh, and so it, it looks throughout the stack, it figures out where this uh, bottleneck may reside. It's been a great feature that we've had for several versions now, but it's only been functional within a standard vSAN cluster. Uh, um, and when it came to a stretch cluster, it didn't work. And now somebody might think, well, wait a minute. I, if it's a stretch cluster, I can pretty much guarantee that uh, the bottleneck's going to be at the inner site link. Well, the reality is, is that that's not always the case. And sure. it's actually more often uh, than not, it's somewhere else, especially if the hardware isn't very good. Uh, so this uh, offers full support for a uh, stretch cluster environment as well as a uh, two-node environment as well. well th this is something that you can try to try to measure the network and, and trace these hops and these devices. But if you start thinking about um, it, it a, a large cluster becomes like a 30 factorial problem of the this. I'm, I have one VM out of hundreds or thousands that's talking to one of hundreds of disks and one of, you know, a dozen or dozens of hosts across, you know, potentially multiple you know networking paths. Um, trying to figure out, okay, is this the networking? Is this one of the devices? Where did that IO go? Because this VM technically sits on 14 different disks. Um, this is really cool. And being able to be like, why is this slow? There, this is, I was actually looking over the top 10 um, VMware Explore sessions. And there's, uh, there is actually one of like, why is my VDI slow? But this is, this is kind of the thing. Those are always one of the hardest questions to answer. And they're frankly even harder in a distributed system. Um, and, and to be fair, like, you know, you try to answer this in a three-tier storage platform, you're having to look at an array and a special interface, right, you're having right. to look at a switch, you're, you're doing sh show int, you know, uh, on the switch, maybe the networking guy at least was kind enough to give you read-only, um, you're manually throwing pings back and forth, or you're like, if it's fiber channel, you know, you're either using some weird fabric uh, view software, or you're literally, I've seen people even go, so, and this sounds insane, but this is actually a thing, uh, deploy fiber taps. So they're literally like 
sniffing the, the the photons, the frames in real time to try to figure out like where the bottleneck is. Like this is the craziness. And like having all of this to where we own the IO path on all sides, we get to cheat because we have we have sensory telemetry in all ends of this IO path. So uh yeah. Please try this out. Yeah, for sure. And one question. So is this only for real time or are you able to set a time where it actually captures the information over a over a period of time? Yeah, this works with the new scheduler that we introduced on uh, vSAN 8 update one. So you're able to schedule a time for these workloads that you may suspect that they are having some challenges. Yeah, you will certainly be able to um, work those schedules in in a stretch cluster environment as well. I like it. I like it. Very nice. So Pete, let's let's pivot over to uh, performance. I know there's several and, and we won't touch on all of them uh, on this podcast. Uh, link below for the uh, for the blog explaining all this as well as uh, by all means go to core.vmware.com to get more detailed information on all these. But Pete, why don't we touch on a few of the performance enhancements uh, uh, in vSAN 8 Update 2? Yeah, most certainly. So the first one that we um, are introducing really is an enhancement uh, on a new capability that we introduced in vSAN 8 Update 1. Uh, in vSAN 8 Update 1, we introduced this brand new fully adaptive write path, meaning that we have more than one way that we can write the data. And that's really important because uh, we need to understand that when workloads are generating the data, they issue writes in very different ways. And when they do that, and there's going to be different methods in which you can actually write that data in the most efficient way. Uh, and so our new adaptive write path allows for this sort of accommodation of, of, of um, these IOs, these incoming IOs that may be really small or really large. And so that was some of the capabilities that we introduced. It, it increased performance within the ESA, I think between like 25 and 30%, just, just, with enable that uh, enabling that feature alone, wow. let alone some of the other uh, performance improvements. So, as an enhancement on that, what we did was we recognized that as we're absorbing those incoming writes so much faster now, uh, we have to uh, prepare that data in such a way that we can write that fully aligned full stripe write with its respective metadata really, really quickly. Uh, and we do that uh, preparation and the coalescing of IOs within memory. And we use these IO banks uh, that are set aside for this process. Uh, well, in the past, um, for each and every object, we only used uh, two IO banks. One would always be active for the incoming IOs, and then the other one would be uh, preparing and sending that uh, data to the underlying storage devices. Sure. Well, because we were ingesting the writes so fast, we needed more of those. And but you know, there's hesitation on doing something like that because if you just do that statically, then you're going to be consuming a lot more memory and so forth. So we have this uh, dynamic allocation of I/O memory banks for each and every object that exists, so that we can tune it fully dynamically, tune it so that. Um, more of these banks exist for a uh, high write intensive workload so that this data can be written uh, to the storage devices uh, in order and faster. And <laughs> we want to make sure we pay attention uh, to that in order part because that's the unique thing about storage is that you have to do things in an ordered way. Otherwise, uh, it's not going to be the uh, information that you expect when you actually uh, try to 
fetch it. Uh, so that's one of the you know the key areas that we made improvements on. Uh, the other part w- that we introduced some improvements on was really just looking at the stack again, um, the the main vSAN stack, and uh, introduce some additional threading. Uh, that helps make sure that we increase uh, the parallelism of these I/O activities throughout the stack. Um, we don't, and this actually is a, a truism for most software uh, development. They don't build the software to have an unlimited amount of threading that occurs. It's really wasteful. That wouldn't serve it well if the underlying hardware was never able to use that in the first place. So we have to. Um, as this faster hardware uh, comes out and optimizations uh, come to our stack, we have to make those adjustments as well. And so we introduce these things known as helper threads that help uh, process those activities much more quickly. And so we did that, which really improves um, some of these like single VMDK workloads much, much faster. In fact, I was speaking with the uh, uh, performance engineering team just earlier today, uh, and it was really uh, quite extraordinary when they were doing some of the testing um, on the latest version of vSAN ESA uh, versus what the capabilities were um, within the original storage architecture, both in uh, RAID 6 and RAID 1. Um, we are getting into the orders of magnitude uh, faster now. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy to see how quick this stuff changes, right? I mean, we go from switching over to the express storage architecture and 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 after about 2 years from now, there's going to be nobody even considering anything. It's like it's kind of like SATA versus Flash. Like there there was a time when it was like, well, you know, price point, maybe it makes more sense, but now the conversation is strictly Flash. And I think uh the more advanced the uh, you know, the, the adaptive write path and all these other enhancements into the lower level architecture that make this just more intelligent and more highly performant is it's just a no-brainer that everyone's going to move to the express storage architecture i mean it is it, it, it's something that recently i was doing some benchmarking in the lab and i wasn't even trying to actually do serious benchmarking i was just running a single synthetic generator to a single vmdk and i was getting um you know 12 gigabits a second or something which previously you know if you'd worked with VMware storage and you were trying to push high throughput you know you'd be like okay i need to get out like six eight vhbas and like 14 vmdks and do some striping and something uncomfortable and have you tr- considered scaling out your application <laughs> and seeing that like uh, you know that with literally zero tuning zero effort i'm able to push um, non-trivial amounts of throughput to a disk subsystem um it's pretty pretty cool yeah yeah, well, and it, uh, it really, really ties in so nicely too with the work that we've done for vSAN Max, because you know we, in a lot of ways, uh, many might look at uh, the kind of that original storage architecture within vSAN. You're thinking, okay, well, that's an interesting hyperconverged sort of arrangement. Well, with the ESA and a lot of you know ongoing evolutionary sort of improvements with our uh, control path, what we what it turned out that we did was we built a really great fully distributed storage system and that's where we're applying it to in the form of vSAN max yeah it makes sense and now with more performance there's uh you know because performance being a big bottleneck in the past you're not going to put a lot of vms on the same host uh but with all of these performance enhancements i i understand that the uh the level of capacity for uh putting or, or the scale of vms per host has increased is that correct 
Yeah, for those that uh, you know really want to ignore some of the design recommendations, uh, this next feature is for them. <laughs> uh, we we now support uh, 500 VMs now uh, per host when using vSAN ESA, uh, and so this is really quite an extraordinary improvement over the 200 VM max uh, that existed within the original storage architecture, and this comes really from the result of uh, two things. We use less uh, resources for each and every uh, I.O. that is processed. So when a guest VM issues a write, we, I think on average, the ESA is running about one third of the CPU cycle. So much, much lower than, than the original storage architecture. Then along with some other enhancements and uh, performance improvements and um, internal changes, the result was that we were able to revisit how many VMs is it that we want to support in an environment. Uh, and so we were able to make this, this, uh, this change here, which is what, about 150% higher or something like that. So um, uh, quite extraordinary. Now the question becomes, do you really want to have 500 VMs on a host? Uh, and you know, that's, that's, that's it's, sort of, I, I think it's something that you need to address on, on the design uh, phase of, of your effort. Uh, but that is a question that you would have, and this is really important. That's the same question that you would have in a three tier architecture. So if the data itself is actually not relevant in that sure. respect. It's all about the number of VM instances that you're willing to lose. See, at how, how heavy the CPU schedule is getting hit, how large an yeah. HA blast radius. I, I typically find the people who are trying to push more than 200 fell into a couple of camps. Uh, people who were doing like weird build test stuff where these things were running super lean, you know, they built it a certain way. It ran 10 megahertz for 10 seconds and then it just sits there and does nothing. Um, VDI with like quad socket people who I don't understand why you don't just go to more two socket hosts, but UDU. Um, and then for whatever reason, like weird government institution people to where they won't even tell me where they work. Like, and I, I don't understand their use case, but it's. These people do exist, um, but I just, you know, Pete and I kindly ask you, um, think before you leap, think about <laughs> if a host fails and I have VDI users, how many of them I want calling my help desk before they, you know, yeah. HA kicks in and reconnects them. Um, yeah. And I'm and I'm curious. So uh, for those listening, uh, shoot us a DM at Vert Speaking uh, on Twitter. I, I'm curious what the typical host looks like. How many VMs? What do your workloads look like? Uh, send us a message. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear from our audience. Awesome. So Pete, uh, yeah, it is. Like I said, it's VMware Explorer Week. Today is Tuesday, uh, and you actually have a session today. Tell us about the name of that session and how people can uh, can listen to that. Yeah, indeed. So uh, later uh, on in the afternoon of uh, Tuesday, uh, we will have a deep dive in vSAN Express storage architecture. Uh, Duncan Epping and I will be uh, presenting in some room that I'm not sure what it is yet. Uh, is uh, <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it. But uh, if you haven't registered for it, uh, you may be uh, too late. But uh, nonetheless, it's always worth uh, showing up and seeing if you can get in. So yeah, get online, right. get online. I'm sure. And if not, you'll have to yeah. watch it on demand like everybody else. But <laughs> indeed, and there's always the possibility that, of course, uh, John and I, we our session occurs or occurred on Monday, but uh, there's always a possibility of a repeat for that. So uh, stay tuned and, and uh, you know, sign up for the session and there may be a repeat. 
Yeah, so we will uh, leave links on the show notes to all the related sessions and all the blog posts and good videos. Last thing before we close, Pete, did you notice John's picture on his wall? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I do. (laughs) Uh, I I really love this picture, and uh, I need an exact replica for my office. No, not the cloud. There you go. Zoom in. There we go. Look Look at at that. that. Can we get an autofocus? Let's see. Is it going to focus? It's sort it's of coming. Stable. There it is. Sir, <laughs> Sir Nicholson. I love it. <laughs> my wife got that for me for my birthday. Uh, that's well, beautiful. Man. John, very good. For those, uh, for those at VMware Explorer, come over to the booth. We are podcasting all week over by the VMware communities. For the rest of you, uh, take advantage of all the resources on the uh, virtually speaking on vspeakingpodcast.com as well as core.vmware.com and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, Pete. Uh, thank you. Thank you.